I love the shrinking tail. I think that's such a great metaphor, and I may use it, but I will quote you. Okay. Um, DigitalMarketingRadio.com. Would you like to start your own show? I'm thinking of developing an online video course teaching how to set up, produce, and market your own show. If that might be of interest, dear listener, I would really appreciate if you'd take two minutes of your time to complete the questionnaire at StartYourOwnShow.com. That's StartYourOwnShow.com. The Big Interview with David Bain. What is the zen of content marketing? Is there a difference between content marketing and new PR? And how do you communicate effectively in a crisis? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask my special guest today, Martin Waxman. Martin, welcome to DMR. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. Well, thanks for joining me. Well, Martin is a social media, content marketing and communication strategist and teaches digital marketing at University of Toronto SCS. He's also the co-founder of three PR agencies and president of Martin Waxman Communications. So, Martin, how has content marketing changed over the past few years? Well, first of all, none of that's true in the bio. No, just kidding. <laughs> thank you. Take two. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. No, thank you very much for that. How has it changed in the last few years? I think really um, all of us, whether we're in communications or we're just individuals have so many phenomenal tools available at our fingertips to tell stories. And what used to be um, something that only professionals could do, and Clay Shirky, uh, you know, the author of Here Comes Everybody talks about this, so I'm kind of borrowing his ideas here, uh, is something that now amateurs can do. And I think that's a really exciting thing. It's exciting uh to be in the marketing communications industry because voices and stories can come up from anywhere. It's exciting because it's blown up corporate communications, which was so planned out and so, you know, let's just do this and we're going along this path regardless of what happens because, you know, darn it, we know what's what's good for people. And it's turned it into much more of a two-way street. And so, you know, you have people creating ads for organizations. You have organizations talking to people online. It's it's quite exciting. So two-way street, does that scare a lot of larger corporations still? I think it scares larger and smaller ones because, you know, we came from a time, you know, that uh, not too long ago, like five, ten years ago, where everything was top-down and control was so important and now with social and digital media, everybody has a voice. If, if I'm unhappy with you know, the service that a company gives me, I can write a review. I can put out a tweet. That tweet might be amplified. And I mean, you can think back a few years to United Breaks Guitars. Do you know that? Um, I, I, I don't. Was that something um, in America and Canada or should I yes, be aware of that? Yes, it was. Right. Uh, okay. It was something that happened. It was really big here. And it was a musician who was traveling, ironically, from Canada to uh, somewhere in Nebraska. He flew on United Airlines. There was a stopover in Chicago. He saw the baggage handlers kind of mishandling his guitar. It arrived broken. And after a year of going back and forth with them, just wanting them to fix it, 
um, and them saying no, 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 no. He recorded a song, and you can uh, <laughs> I can share the link with you. Called United Breaks Guitar is very, very popular. Has millions and millions and millions of views. And then he subsequently recorded another song. He subsequently recorded another song and video. It was just <laughs> incredible what happened. And he now is someone who has a site called Gripevine, where he helps kind of people who are unhappy with organizations deal with those organizations. And he's written a book about it. I mean, it's it's crazy what's happened just because of lost luggage. Wow, that's um, that's incredible that um, also I don't know that story as well. So that's 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 wonderful. Um, so certainly I will embed um, the video that you're talking about um, just below this podcast published in Digital Marketing Radio. Um, so, yeah, um, and of course, any software recommendations that you make later on, of course, okay. as well. Um, but w- one thing that we covered actually before um, we turned on the record button was um, you, you mentioned that um, um, there was um, a much better way of doing content marketing now than than certain companies have practiced in the in in the past and that's the zen of content marketing yes would you would you like to talk a little bit about that yes well first of all i love puns i can't help it so it's the zen of content marketing how to embrace your inner peace what but it's not p-e-a-c-e it's p's and the p's are um publishing producing and publicity or promotion you can kind of slip those in and i think it's so important for all organizations to really adopt that publishing mindset. That doesn't mean that you have to put out content, you know, two, three, five, 50 times a day. You want to make sure that what you're doing has some value. Uh, The producing part is the fact that we live in a very visual world. I mean, we have always lived in a visual world. If you think back to the cavemen, they drew, they didn't write. It was all Mm. stories told in pictures. And we've just sort of re-embraced that, I think. And we can all tell stories visually. And then we need to figure out how we can connect with people, connect with influencers and amplify our stories. And a a good model is one that uh, Lee Oden, who is uh, an SEO guy and content strategist in uh, out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, said, and that is a hub and stroke, hub and stroke, no, hub and spoke strategy where the hub is your blog or your newsroom or your site and the spokes are a combination of social media channels like twitter facebook linkedin pinterest instagram i mean you name it traditional channels so legacy media um, marketing channels pr channels so it's a big combination and all of those are the ways you distribute your stories out and hopefully get people coming back to your site to interact with you. I think that's a great strategy because um, a lot of um, businesses have perhaps made the mistake of building their content on other people's land, as it were. Um, Facebook yeah. pages, of course, um, became you know massive maybe three year, three or four years ago, and um, businesses started encouraging their audience to like them on there and interact with them on there uh, but not drive them back to their site ultimately and now of course that Facebook are starting to make organic reach um, a lot more tricky um, using pages um, then of course it makes it tougher without paying for that business to communicate directly to that audience so that um, driving back to the hub is, is, is certainly worthwhile. 
Oh, yeah, it is. And, you know, it's so funny because I, I came from a traditional PR background and there was a time in PR where the answer to every PR question was do a news release. Now, I'm oversimplifying for other people who are listening in me, but really that was sort of like the easy answer to questions. And in the early days of social media, in other words, two years ago or three years ago, whatever, <laughs> the big answer, the easy answer was do a Facebook page. You know, do something on Facebook because so many people are there. Well, there still are a lot of people there. I think it's 1.3 billion. I mean, it's, it's just a staggering number. And Facebook's getting into videos in a bigger way. But Facebook is a media company. And they really, really are now. And just as you were saying, you know, if you're a brand, um, your posts have to really engage people. And if you're not really engaging people, it's a law of diminishing returns. The fewer people who engage with your page, the fewer people see that page in their feeds, and it just keeps going down and down to the point where I think it's 2% now of, you get 2% of your community who actually see your posts. Compound that with what Facebook re recently announced, which is in January 2015, they're going to be muting posts they think are too promotional. So if you want people to download an app or buy an app or enter a contest or enter a sweepstakes, they're not going to be showing those to an organization or a brand's fans. And what that means is the brand will have to buy ads. So I think we need to start thinking of Facebook as, yeah, it's still a great channel, but it's a paid channel. So has, you mentioned PR there as well, has PR changed completely now um, to morph into just utilising social media to actually um, do those kind of activities that would have traditionally been done through PR? Um, or is there a new method of PR that's um, not quite traditional PR, not quite social media? You know what? I wish PR had changed. I think some people have, certainly, and some agencies have. And some agencies have embraced this kind of new landscape we live in, which is a combination of paid, earned, owned, and shared media. I mean, PR was really about earned media a lot and, and a little bit about owned media. You know, can we create speeches or websites or brochures for people? But we weren't very good with the paid media. You know, we kind of left that to our advertising colleagues. And so I think what that's done is PR needs to do a few things. One, become better visual storytellers, something the ad industry and digital marketers, you know, just they just do that. We unfortunately don't have that in our DNA really because we're all about words. So how do we get beyond that? And then as a new model, I actually think community management is a fantastic model for PR. And in many ways, PR really is the precursor to community management. And, and I'm talking about great PR because before you built relationships with communities or stakeholders, whether that was media or whether that was people internally now, you know, we're just kind of expanding on the communities that we're trying to reach. But we have to remember that, you know, we have to be conversational. Which means, yeah, you got messages, but you need to be able to deviate from the playbook and do what I call uh, scripted improv. You know, know how to kind of get off the beaten track and just say something human that engages people. Mm. I guess that a lot of the old, older traditional PR methods incorporated 
broadcasting um, and yeah. actually speaking to someone instead of interacting with someone. And um, I suppose some of those activities have um, morphed into blogger outreach and yeah. forming relationships with people like bloggers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, bloggers really, in a lot of ways, are their own kind of media. Because if you think, what do media do? They're, they're intermediaries. They, you know, take your story and interpret it and tell it, hopefully, to the audience you want to reach, which is their audience and yours. And bloggers, really great bloggers, do the same. And then in addition to that, there are all sorts of influencers that I think community marketing and communicators and community managers need to figure out how we can build relationships with them and build relationships by um, showing them that we're there to help and listen and talk to them, not that we're there saying, okay, here we are, you cover us and we'll give you a free something or other, or we'll give you some information. It's got to be more of a two-way street. And I think it needs to start with us giving to people. And to people like, um, there's a guy named Nade Nade Schott, N-A-D-E-S-H-O-T. I read about this in the New York Times. He's 22 years old, makes a million bucks a year playing video games. He has all these corporate sponsors, and he has something like 815,000 plus fans on Twitter. He has a huge community on YouTube and on other channels. So if you're in the gaming industry, you know, here's a, a great influencer to try to build a relationship with. Right, because he has such a fantastic community. So he's not necessarily even a blogger. He's just a guy who is really great at playing video games and also at communicating with the people who uh, like like him. So you know, how do we figure out how to you know build a rapport, build a relationship, you know, connect ourselves with him in a way that works for him and also works for the organization? But I guess that it is a bit easier for the organization if they happen to offer great products and services. Um, if you're working for a company that um, is pretty average in terms of what they deliver, then of course it makes forming those relationships and getting people to be passionate about what you do yeah. all the more challenging. Well, it does. I mean, and, and that's where I guess every organization needs to find something inside it that makes it stand out. Because Ultimately, if you're just kind of a beige company serving a beige product, you know, to that does that's not differenti differentiated at all, you know, no, not by price, not by what it offers, you may not have a future. I mean, that's kind of business 101, right? Yeah. But hopefully, these companies that aren't as exciting, and that, that's where. B2B companies, for example, you know, they're targeting a smaller audience. Maybe they make a widget or something, you know, some part of a machine, but they still know stuff that hopefully that their customers don't and that can make their customers' lives easier. I've got this um, theory that these beige companies, as you call them, um, are part of um, what I'd call the shrinking tail. Um, because you probably remember, <laughs> you probably remember the book, the, the Long Tail by Chris, yes. Chris Anderson. Yeah. Um, and obviously, he was going on about um, limitless, um, almost limitless supply of different products and services because um, the cost to deliver them was so cheap in a digital world. But of course, now, because there's so many communities, there's so much interaction, there's so many reviews, um, it, to a certain degree, it drives people back to the more popular companies and the, the less 
popular companies um, have less of a chance in the future? Yeah, I think that's I love the shrinking tail. I think that's such a great metaphor. And I may use it, but I will quote you. Okay. Um, it, you know, it's funny. I think it comes down to personality, right? Mm. You know, and it's whether it's an interpersonal re- interaction or, or an interaction with a brand. A brand needs to now really have a personality of some sort. And it can be whatever fits with that brand. But if you don't have a personality, if all you are is, you know, beige, and I hope there is no beige organization that comes after us, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> beige is bad. No, who knows? Uh, other colors could be just as bad, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it, uh, unless, you know, you can kind of find out who you are. It's like some people come to a party and you just you look at them or you work with some people and just go, oh, my gosh, they're so boring. I just don't want to talk to them. You know, uh, those people have to find out what their passion is and figure out how they can communicate it. And the same thing, I think, applies to uh, brands and organizations. Okay. um, What about, though, um, a company that um, has faced a situation which is challenging? Um, Perhaps they've got a customer that's really unhappy and that ends up morphing into um, building a community that's not that quite happy with what they do. Um, How do you turn around a situation like that? How do you communicate effectively in a crisis? Okay. Well, you know, I think that's something that Everybody in marketing and communications needs to know how to do these days. Certainly, there are specialists and people who do it all the time. But the difference between, you know, things being just great and a crisis can be, you know, one or two tweets, one or two ill-timed or ill-judged tweets. There was something that happened uh, a couple, I guess, in the last week in the U.S., Dave and Buster's. Yeah. which is a family restaurant, they had you know a racist tweet that they put out there and that was just amplified all over the place. They since took it down and apologized. But you know, if you search Dave & Buster's racist tweet, you can see it there. And that's just ill judgment. So in a crisis, I think it goes back to some of the fundamentals of crises communications. And that is you need to respond, but you need to respond fast. You know, we don't have the time that we used to have um, when a crisis occurred, we know, you know, because the media cycle is, you know, instantaneous and it's constant. So you need to get on top of it. You need to make sure that your first response is at the flashpoint. What I mean is if the crisis started on Twitter, your first response to it has to be on Twitter. If it started on YouTube, your first response should be on YouTube. That doesn't mean you ignore the other channels. You do absolutely need to respond on them too, but you need to be there at the flashpoint. And you need to be there even with something like a holding statement, you know, within the first 15 minutes to an hour. And I would say even an hour might be a bit late, just saying, we know something's happening. We're looking into it. We will be uh, getting back to you at this time for more information. Here's where you go for that. So you need to say when you're going to get back to people and where they can find the information. And, And both of those are really, really important. And then you have to stick to that. Even if you don't have that much more to the story, you need to say, hey, we said we'd get back to you in an hour. Here we are. We're still examining things. We're not as far along as, you know, we've been. But, you know, we'll get back to you again. Here's where to go. And 
communicate a lot frequently and respond to comments and show one that you're human Two, if it is a crisis where you've you know made a mistake apologize i mean apologies really really help and they go a long way and make sure that you're not only you're not using canned responses to everything show you're um, human yeah show you're human and show compassion and empathy especially if it's a crisis where people are sick or people lost their lives i am um, teach as you mentioned uh digital strategy course at university of toronto and one of the classes a third class is advanced practices in digital reputation management and what we do as a big assignment is the students do a real-time crisis project so i have a lot of fun writing up these scenarios based on things that have happened because there are sure a lot to choose from but i get to change them in all sorts of ways the students get them in a sealed envelope and they have two and a half hours in groups to develop a strategy, to develop what their communications channels are going to be, some of their messages, some of their tactics, the timelines, who the spokespersons are, and to produce a video and to present that to the class. So two and a half hours, it really does simulate a crisis situation. And out of that, they really learn how to think on their feet, how to use judgment, and how to show that they're empathetic and responsive. Wow, a lot of great information there. But um, let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses okay. more on your thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading in general. So starting okay. off with... Software I couldn't live without. What software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Okay, hopefully I don't choke laughing on that because <laughs> I did hear it before, but it is pretty funny. For me, my favorite thing is Evernote. I love Evernote. Evernote. I think, it, yeah, Evernote.com. It's a note-taking app, and it's fantastic. And I signed up a few years ago, and I never really understood it. But in the last couple of years, I've just—it's it, my go-to app. And what I do is, I have the premium version, um, so I have it on my phone, I have it on my tablet, I have it on my computer. I'm able to access it when I'm online or offline, and I organize everything by note. So I have all these different notebooks, and if I'm talking to a client, I'll write it under the client's notebook. If I am have an idea for a blog, for example, I have you know a notebook for that, and I put my ideas in there. And so I can start with an idea on my phone that is transformed on my tablet, work on it more, work on it on my laptop. It's so organized. You can share stuff. You can clip stuff. Um, if I'm moderating a panel, for example, I'll have my questions on it because, you know, you can see that in real time. It, it's it's just, it's a fantastic app and it's searchable. I love it. I almost feel that you're a great salesman for Evernote, but no, no, you're obviously, I know. I know, you're I obviously really passionate. <laughs> now that's great. And I, I mean, I tried Evernote, um, probably three or four years ago now, but um, I, I've never really got completely into it. In fact, I'm looking at an Evernote app on my computer, but um, I haven't really clicked on it and opened it and done much with it for a while. And, and that uh, passionate speech has probably made me think perhaps I should again. <laughs> I've sold it to someone. Well, you know, it's so funny because I find that there are certain things that you come to when you're ready for them. I tried Evernote, as I said, in the early days, and it was just like, yeah, so what? I use notebooks. That I, I have everything I need with paper and pen. And I used to walk around carrying like 
little notebooks in every single jacket I have. So that was great. I could always, you know, write something down. And then I'd come home and, you know, two weeks would go by, which notebook was that in? You'd have to search around for it. This way, that takes that away from it. Well, here's a slightly more challenging question. What software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Ooh, that's a good... um, I think a number of mobile apps that I don't use. I don't really use travel apps that much. And I've heard they're really great. You know, I still, that I don't know why, for some reason when I'm traveling, I still rely on the old, you know, guidebooks and things, which are heavy and cumbersome. And so I think I am going to move over to travel apps. Now, Part of the reason for that, and uh, certainly in North America, our one of our providers has changed their roaming package so that uh, for a very nominal fee, we're able to have the same plan uh, that we have at home as we do anywhere in North America. I think that's pretty common throughout Europe or the UK that you have these. Yes, um, yes. So- it's, it's, it's moving to the case now where... Um- uh, f- mobile network providers are going to be ha- uh, forced to, I think, within the whole of the European Union, um, not charge any roaming charges, which w- will be quite interesting. Yeah, so uh, that is what's going to probably be one of the things that I've been meaning to try. I've downloaded them, but I don't really use travel apps very much when I'm traveling. And I think that will probably do for my traveling experiences what Evernote did to my note-taking. I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Oh, God. Do I have to be honest? No, just (laughs) kidding. You know, I think part of it was when I had a traditional PR agency. I merged with another agency. and And the idea was that I would build out the digital component. And what I wish... I did differently was have a team that had some more expertise in digital to support me. So that means I probably needed someone who at least knew the basics of coding. I needed someone who could, you know, who knew the basics of video production and beyond what I know and uh, editing and things like that. And I think that would have really helped me marketed because it meant that I would have had a team, that team comes up with more ideas, you kind of, everything builds on everything else. Okay. So I, I relied on a more traditional team is what I'm saying. Okay. And um, not surrounded yourself with enough qualified people in the area that you wanted to be involved in. Right. Because it's risky, right? Yes. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, I probably do um, a similar kind of thing. And, um, you know, I really like learning more in different aspects of digital marketing and um, maybe I try and do too much of that myself rather than actually niching down and um, um, relying on um, other people's knowledge for um, certain areas. But um, I'm trying to do that a little bit more by focusing on podcasting and digital magazines. Well, you know, I hear now finally that podcasts are coming of age after all you know after six years and it's we're heading into the golden age of podcasting they're finally cool yeah (laughs) i know it's really great serial you know that one that came out of the u.s Uh uh-huh it's a podcast it's kind of a murder mystery and it's just really caught on yeah no it's 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 really superb um 
I remember, I think I recorded my first podcast about 2006 or so, um, but um, I, I didn't really stick with it, you know, on and off or so, but um, hopefully I'm, I'm stuck with it now. Well, <laughs> that that's good. It, you know, no, but it, it, podcasts are fun. You know, I'm on the Inside PR podcast uh, and I'm one of the hosts of it and we try to record every week. We, we got them down to 15-minute shows because we find that for us – it's easier to do and our audience likes them. But podcasting is really fun yeah. if you're able to talk to people. I find if you're just sitting there and have to talk, that would be, I, I think, a little harder. It's No, it's, it's a great skill because um, especially if you edit the podcast yourself, you, you get to hear your own voice, you get to hear your um, words that you repeat um far too many times and uh, want to edit them out, or your ums and your ahs, and then mm-hmm. you start to focus on microphone quality as well. So um, you can certainly experience a lot and learn a lot from doing a podcast. Yeah, I would agree. But let's move on to... The This or That Round. So this is the quick response round. Okay. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut reaction. So, ready to go? Yes. Email or Twitter? Twitter. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Google Plus, reluctantly. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? Uh, One-on-one. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Email. Website or app? Uh, WAP Social subscriber or email subscriber? Social And local marketing or global marketing? Local, definitely local. <laughs> um, How many points do I get and when's my prize coming? Uh, you get nine points and uh, the prize is to answer another question okay. <laughs> Which is, why was it so much of a struggle to choose Google Plus? Because I do like Facebook and you know what? I liken Google Plus to vitamins or (laughs) vitamins, as you would say, because I know they're good for me, but I have to force myself to take them every day. And that's sort of, that's like my resolution for 2015. I'm going to commit to Google Plus more because I, I know that it's fantastic for search and search is the number one thing, you know, we do. In fact, I think I read somewhere that 93% of our online experiences start with search. Facebook I love because I have old friends there. I have, you know, colleagues there, but I also have, you know, cousins who say dumb things on my wall, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it's a weird group of people Whereas I do like the interface of Google Plus. I like how clean, <coughs> excuse me, and minimalist it is. But as I said, you know, if I was looking at it, really the answer should have been Facebook because I go to Facebook more, but I want to go to Google Plus more. Well, that's great. I mean, it's all about um, gut reaction there. And it's interesting just to dig a little bit deeper into the answers that people um, struggle with a little bit more. So, So that was interesting. Yeah, thanks. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Well, I think what I would do is I would probably 
redo my website again, do a couple of videos, so add a few more videos, and probably add a paid component, whether on LinkedIn or Twitter, just to try it out and see um, how much more engagement I was getting. And I would measure that by the leads that uh, I was getting from it. Great stuff. My number one takeaway. Well, Martin, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses? Well, I think what we need to do is never be complacent. I mean, we've learned in the last five, eight, ten years how much the world has changed and how much it continues to change. So I think we need to think of ourselves as scientists, really, you know, marketing communication scientists, put our our lab coats, test things out and uh, try to see what works and then be prepared to adapt and embrace, you know, the next great thing that comes along that helps us achieve our goals. That's a great piece of advice, a great um, mindset to have. So, well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time, your focus and your advice. What's the best well, way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Thank you, David. Well, you know, you can find me online at Twitter at Martin Waxman. You can visit my website, which is www.martinwaxman.com. My blog is there. You can find me at insidepr.ca, which is the podcast. Or email me, you know, on my website, there's an email form. I, I do still respond to emails, but I respond to Twitter quicker. <laughs> nice tip. Well, thanks again, Martin. Thank you, David. Great talking to you. Did you